in today's world, it's no longer about having a better bandage or a better drug or a better this or a better that. It really is the inner exploration. and That is the healing. And there are so many different modalities, whether it's meditation, being present, plant medicines, energy consciousness, Akashic records, psyche, pathwork, basic science and, and history. There are so many options out there. And, you know, it's like all reads, roads lead to Rome or if you're French to Paris. So go with what you resonate with. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today's guest is Christopher Barham. Christopher's intention is to help people know who and what they are so they align with unity, love, care, and compassion, and shine like stars as they fully express their deepest selves. Chris is a graduate of the Barbara Brennan School of Healing and an Akashic Record Certified Teacher of the Akashic Knowing School of Wisdom. He is a registered teacher in the province of Ontario, Canada, and has tertiary education in music, business, and education. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review on the podcast platform of your choice. Your opinions matter and your ratings help us to grow and help more people to be healthy, find freedom of body and mind, and to live their dreams. A big thank you to our premier sponsors, Bioptimizers, Paleo Valley, and Organifi, and our podcast sponsor, Wild Pastures. Their support is essential in producing this podcast, and we hope you will show your support by visiting them online and trying all the amazing products they produce. Please check the show notes for links and details at checkinstitute.com forward slash podcast. The topic of Paul and Chris's conversation today is awakening, healing, and forgiveness. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, my guest is Chris Barham, who is a very interesting man that I was turned on to by my buddy Jason Picard, who you've probably heard on the podcast before. If you haven't, then go back and listen to my podcast with Jason. He's a very deep and interesting man. And he's had a long-time friendship with Chris. And he told me about Chris's ability to read the Akashic Records and his work as a healer. So I hooked up with Chris, and he did a reading on me, which was very interesting. Found out some interesting things about myself. Today, I'd like to share Chris with you because he's actually a graduate of the Barbara Brennan Healing School and has a lot of interesting things going on and a lot of skills and abilities and perspectives that I think are going to be helpful to us all. Chris's background includes being an artillery regiment in the military as a reservist. He's involved in long-term patient care as a volunteer in a remote rural hospital. He's been involved in sales and marketing for the construction and insurance industries. He co-created a music school, uh, worked as a conductor, coach, violin teacher, including having students playing in a concert in Canada's, uh, Canada's National Orchestra. He's a kindergarten to eighth grade teacher, so he has a lot of understanding about education. Uh, as I said, he is a graduate of the Barbara Brennan Healing School, and I have a lot of respect for Barbara Brennan having, having read her books because she's really the real deal. In addition to his work as a healer, Chris is skilled at accessing the Akashic Records and works as a consultant and teacher for that. Chris's company name is Tell Me Who You Are, and you can learn more about Chris's courses and other healing and Akashic Record reading and services at his website, tellmewho.ca. 
So, Chris, welcome to Living 4D, buddy. Well, thanks for having me, Paul. It's great to be here. Yeah, my pleasure. It's uh, been a long time coming. We've been talking about it and had some time to hash things out and get to know each other a bit. So uh, I'd love it, Chris, to begin with, if you can share an overview of your background. It all really started when I was about four years old. This was in New Zealand. My parents were very traditional, so they would go to church each week and things like that. But there was no sense of anything beyond that. My father was a psychologist, and my mother a nutritionist, and um, I was seeing this being um, right by the stairs, and I was scared. And they were just telling me, "Oh, it's you know nothing. It's nothing. You know, it's your imagination. Uh, don't worry about it." But it seemed extremely real to me, so. I would literally run past that spot where I would see the little being. And then eventually everything shut down. I got to believe my parents. And it really wasn't until, well, even at uh, university, I took a course on Asian philosophies, religions. So that interest was always there. But it really wasn't until much later. I was working in Malaysia and Kuala Lumpur. And I was visiting, uh, working there. And someone said, okay, come up see this man. So I did. And he was doing some sort of healing thing, but I had no concept of that. And then he sat me down on a chair. And then before I knew it, I, I was just waking up with this very light, warm kind of sweat across my body. And it was like, well, that was strange. And then uh, the next step was in Vancouver. I met some people who taught Tao. They were from originally from Taiwan, Singapore, that area. I saw this young uh, girl, really, writing in Mandarin extremely quickly. Of course, I couldn't read or write Mandarin, but there were people who could tell me what she was writing. It was just like, how is that even possible? So it was some years later, I just felt that call to do healing. So I went to the Barbara Brand School of Healing, and that's where everything opened up. And then after that, I started working with the records and then started teaching the records. I teach courses with the records, the Kashuk records, and work with people one-on-one. And when my father got really ill, it just made sense for me to come and uh, help look after him. So I moved in with my father. I left my teaching job and just started uh, doing this work full time. Good. How's the transition been? Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Getting support from so many people, uh, like you were saying, from Jason and yourself, uh, others. So it's, it's really exciting. I just started a course in Mexico. I've done one in Poland. Um, I've got plans to get it going in other languages as well. So it's it's been really wonderful. That's great. Uh, did you get to work with Barbara Brennan herself? Yeah. So, in fact, I was one of the last classes to be trained by her. We didn't have her for all our classes. It was just basically one class that she would teach us. She has all these amazing teachers there who carry more at that time carried the the weight of the teaching load and so i had her for classes in in my first year second year a little bit uh, but that was really more or less the end of her teaching yeah she's a she's quite a deep woman it's an interesting story hers coming from a heavy science background working for nasa and then getting into healing it it's it's unique because it's a lot harder for critics to deny a woman with that academic and, and uh, professional background. Yeah, absolutely. It was amazing. Uh, she was a physicist. She did a lot of atmospheric work, and as you said, worked with NASA. And I think that 
also brought a certain rigor in some ways um, to the teaching and her work. So she could move in and out and understood everything as frequency. And I didn't know her particularly well uh, through her books, of course, and then through the teaching, but uh, she was amazing. Yeah. One of the things that she said is that the body is a self-healing organism, so it's really about clearing things out of the way so the body can heal itself. I'd love it, Chris, if you can share, well, you already shared an overview of who she was, but um, I understand she passed away October the 3rd, 2022, so not too long ago. Could you share some of the key principles of both her healing philosophy and the philosophy that you use? Yeah, I, I would say they're quite similar. She may have a different answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's just my interpretation of, of what I thought was most important. I mean, there were tons of like technical kinds of healing skills, but what I left with fundamentally and what I felt was being brought to the fore, first of all, was just this aspect of multidimensionality. There are all these different layers of consciousness and vibration and light. That to me was brand new. It really was included as a part of, of the coursework because we needed to access different levels of the energy field. You know, a lot of our focus was on the first seven layers, but she would talk well beyond that and explain, you know, for example, sight is just one tiny aspect in the great energy pool, so to speak. So I, I think that was one really key takeaway. The, the next one would be listening, or you might call it observing or perhaps being present. So this was a fundamental skill to be present, not just to the client or patient, but ourselves and both at the same time. And all that is happening. So that would be the, the second most important thing. And then the third is self-work. So really working on yourself. So I can't remember the exact number of therapy sessions we had to do individually each year. It was something like 24 or 20 or something in that neighborhood. You could work with a, you know, a psychologist or psychiatrist or a therapist uh, that's approved or the Brennan School has their own version of that. Uh, but also during class time, we had group therapeutic work as well. Basically, the more work you do on yourself, the more you uh, kind of eliminate those short circuits in your system. And so that you are more free, you're more clear in the work that you do. Uh, as a healer. That was heavily em emphasized and, and really vital. So, and that I think is also something that really distinguished her school from other schools where they learned energy healing of some kind because of that heavy emphasis on self-awareness and, and clearing and healing oneself. Yeah. You know, in her comment, she was that I just shared earlier. She was talking about healing is really about clearing things out of the way so the body can heal itself. In your experience, what are some of the most common things that people need to clear out of the way that are blocking their own ability to heal? Yeah, that's a really interesting question, Paul. Uh, a little bit depends on on the person. Some of the most common things that I work with with people would be the wounded feminine and masculine and how that gets blocked up and also prevents uh, unity in a certain way. Rejection of self and rejection of self as source, uh, which is also 
often connected with insufficiency, trauma, loneliness, and victim consciousness. And I would say those are the, the, the most important or most common issues that, that need to be cleared out. The other flip side is we also want to generate our creative essence. And so in the background, the kind of the macro things like seeing ourselves as source, seeing the universe as light, some of those issues are also important to rearticulate because a lot of them are, are used in a way to control and dominate us as people. But those would be the things I would, I would focus on right now for most people. Yeah, they seem pretty consistent with my own experience for sure. It, it, I think belief systems are the most dangerous thing to anybody's wholeness, really. Absolutely. You know, belief systems are closed. So once you believe something, you stop questioning it and you just take it for granted. And the problem with belief systems is that they're really a creation of the past. Like any Christianity's old, Islam's old, Judaism's old. You know, even what we learned in school is old compared to what the environment might demand right now if we're in the flow of reality, right? There's a lot of, like, we, we need a lot of relationship skills and negotiation skills and problem-solving skills to deal with the issues of the world right now that most of us were never taught. So if we're trapped in old ways of believing, my people versus your people, for example, then we're not really equipped to deal with what's happening in reality. Absolutely. And you see that in how... Uh, children are taught and what they're taught. You know, everything is like a fractal. <laughs> and the one, so we see all these issues popping up everywhere. So, like in the school system, ideally they would start moving towards a central curriculum of what it is to be a human being. And then that'd be a good there, idea. You know, <laughs> <laughs> what a concept. <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, like you can add in your science and your math and language and whatever. But there's terrible challenges with self-regulation and it is just simply that, that the children aren't taught about themselves and who they are and given those sorts of tools so that's going to come in at some point it's one of my projects that i i want to get lifted off relatively soon but yeah it's really challenging at this time i think i think steiner's waldorf school systems the best i've ever seen for actually teaching exactly that not only teaching children what it is to be human but Many other factors, such as the formative forces and uh, using art and acting and crafts and music and song and, uh, you know, voice uh, to really work with the soul of the child in the stage of development that its mind is at and how the nervous system and brain is maturing, which is so desperately needed out there. Because like, if you study Steiner's teachings on education, one of the things he warns is children should not be doing reading or math until they're five to seven years old, because it'll activate their left brain hemisphere and shut down their right brain hemisphere. And so they may become very good at certain things like math or physics or whatever, but they can't ever see how it fits into the big picture. And that's really a, a serious disease that's causing tremendous problems in the world to this very moment. Yeah, indeed, absolutely. And some of the Scandinavian countries really don't teach reading, for example, until they're about age seven or eight. And then they just learn it's kind of six weeks. It's really quick. Uh, you can actually do damage to children if you're trying to force things before they're 
you know, developed ideally in that way on the brain side of things. So there, there are these challenges and, you know, because of this materialistic orientation of the medical systems too, you know, we get stuck uh, or have to revert because spiritual development, you know, we need, we need to really transform these challenges into higher degrees of freedom and, and higher consciousness. And th- I think the, the biggest saving grace is, is uh, modern physics, meaning like quantum physics, and, and it's very slow to be adopted. It's been around, you know, about 100 years. You know, it depends where you want to put that line down. But, but it's been here for about 100 years. And as Einstein talked about, we've got particles plus waves equals structure. But the medical system focuses on the particles and the waves. Uh, sorry, the particles and the structure, but not the waves. So we might see waves come in with some of the machinery like a... PET machine or MRI, but then they will use that as a map and then use particle-based healing. It's the same for biology, although that's starting to change with epigenetics, uh, psychology, psychiatry. You know, Newton was very successful (laughs) Uh, because we're start, you know, largely still thinking and functioning from a perspective of Newtonian physics. But we need to remember that we are energy, you know, and the disease... As, as people see it, is actually just the symptom. It, what's, what's caused the disease? What's the energy behind the creation of that disease? You know, allop- modern allopathic medical systems are great for acute trauma and things like that, but often a lot of our issues would be better served with a, a different form of approach, Ayurvedic or Chinese traditional medicine. Yeah, it's just a, a sort of a sad conundrum with Newton and his being tied to you know mathematical logical approach and and sort of left brain materialistic science is that he was an alchemist and he was also deeply spiritual it's just that they repressed that side of him and even in his own day from my studies he had to be careful about sharing too much of that as well and he had his own you know secret notebooks that were later found and had it was evident that he was doing all sorts of el- alchemy, which, which we would, you know, now really consider spiritual alchemy, not necessarily just chemical alchemy. Chemistry is the branch that emerged out of ancient alchemy, but it also had two divisions. According to Jung, the alchemists were deeply exploring the spiritual nature of reality. And then there's another group that we're focusing on turning things like lead into gold and more chemical aspects of it. But the only point I'm trying to make is that that if we really were able to understand Newton, who he really was, and what he really believed, we would probably have a completely different perception of Newton himself, and our whole world would be very different because we wouldn't have been railroaded into only what the establishment wanted us to think about Newton versus who he really was. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that happened in, in a way with Darwin too, and and it even goes back, you know, where it's kind of like science and religion kind of were separated at a certain point. Everything is now, as you're speaking to, the wholeness of Newton, and, and this is all coming back with our modern physics. And some people are recognizing that faster than others. Uh, but we are a whole human being. Everything has consciousness, so it's it's a very different perspective you know what is going on under the hood you know what's going on in that engine it's not as linear as would be led to believe 
No, not at all. You know, Chris, many wish they could make it through life without any serious trauma, illnesses, or diseases. Steiner and many other initiates, adepts, and masters have offered comprehensive explanations of the relationship between traumas, illness, disease, and our spiritual awakening. Unfortunately, because of the materialist orientation of the medical systems worldwide, many tend to get stuck or revert backwards in their spiritual development instead of transforming their challenges into higher states of freedom and higher consciousness. In other words, for example, somebody goes in with heart disease. They're quick to give them statin drugs or stints and blockers and surgeries. Rarely does anyone ever ask what's going on in your life and, you know, what, what are some, have you lost anybody in your life? You know, all the kind of indicators that would create stress in the heart system based on the energetic structure of the body and uh, our psyche. So what happens is people instead of going on a spiritual quest to understand their own relationship to the formation of the illness, then they begin to identify the illness as the problem itself. And so, and then that, of course, causes people to point to, oh, you know, I have this problem because, or I can't play soccer anymore because my heart has this problem. So they externalize themselves to the disease or the illness, and they stop there and it becomes a label that gives them either the conscious or unconscious ability to avoid having to accept responsibility for their own contribution to the creative process that led to it or their own lack of understanding. So it, it's, it's kind of sad because what it does is it keeps people stuck in a very materialistic view of the body and it also keeps them believing that the limitations that they've accepted with the diagnosis are actually real. But oftentimes these, as you know, are these things are, you know, I call that when the pain teacher shows up, it's to quicken consciousness and show you where to look. You know, if, if your back's hurting, absolutely, you look at what's related to the back. If it's your heart, you look at what's related to the heart. If it's your lungs, you look at, and we've got thousands of years from Chinese medicine and Ayurveda, as you mentioned, to other systems, Native American healing, shamanic healing, looking at the correlation between the subtle energy aspects of us, our belief systems, our thoughts, our feelings, emotions, even spiritual orientation, and how that can be related to the manifestation of various pathologies. So anyhow, I'm just curious what your thoughts are in regard to illness and trauma and disease as a potential either a necessary redirect or a process of being able to see what we're manifesting unconsciously or as an initiation into a deeper spiritual mystery that could lead to someone becoming a shaman, a healer, or some kind of a life transition that wouldn't have happened without the illness. Yeah, it, it's everything that you've said. You know, fundamentally, with the current paradigm, we become a victim and we lose our agency as as a creator as source so it is a different paradigm because you know we want to use the external to reflect back to us in our internal we can see the great stuff and we can also say oh there's something going on there let's look into that let's figure what's going on and i just want to say you know all the modern western medicine is really important and valuable too it's really helpful and we need that broader perspective 
uh, it would be great to, to move into a preventative medical model, for example, rather than kind of a sickness model, and, and look more broadly, as you were saying, so, so what does this mean? What's going on? This is a really important thing, Paul, because if you've got an issue with a certain part, you want to connect with the consciousness of that part to try and figure out, well, what is this all really about? What am I harboring in there? What's the resistance or the density or the chaos or however you want to language that? So really connect with the consciousness of that dis-ease and, and then work with that. It, it may be that there's aspects of this issue in different timelines. It could be related to your belief systems, images, beliefs, misconceptions. It, it often will, if you take it all the way back, it, you end back up at source. And, and some really key things that are typical for, for many of us is we reject source. We reject ourselves as source. And as soon as we've done that, we set up the series of vicious circles of pseudo-solutions. It, it's just a different way, but it is so elegant to look inward and to treat that trauma, that injury. I mean, in an ideal world, no one would have any in a sort of sense because they're all, you know, everyone's great. But, but treating that as an opportunity to go within and learn what's there. And, and it's hard to for some people to understand this because... We've been so indoctrinated to see the world as very external, and we don't understand that there are all these connections in ways that we don't even we're not even aware of and that are invisible. So when you start, you know, if you've got a meditation practice or something where you move into expanded consciousness, suddenly the world is very different, and how how things work is very different. So that's part of our kind of crossover right now on the planet is, is our awakening as human beings. Yeah, I think the question is how much <laughs> trauma is it going to take to <laughs> ring the bell, you know? <laughs> Hello, everybody. I sure hope you're enjoying this amazing podcast. I sure am. Did you know that Bioptimizer's Microbiome Breakthrough is my daily probiotic of choice? According to research, approximately 90% of people worldwide suffer from leaky gut syndrome. This means that undigested food particles are leaking through the lining of your small intestine, overloading your liver, and putting a chronic load on your immune system. As I show in my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, this is the most common reason that more people today are suffering from debilitating food intolerances than ever before. Microbiome Breakthrough not only gives you a daily dose of essential probiotics to keep your microbiome healthy, it is designed to support healing the wall of your small intestine so your liver and immune system can rest and you can digest your food effectively. Not only is this one of my all-time favorite products, it tastes great and is easy to use. To get started on Microbiome Breakthrough now and get 10% off as a Living 4D listener, go to bit.ly forward slash microbiome paul 10 that's b i t dot l y forward slash microbiome paul one zero enjoy your healthy gut the other thing and i'm 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 sure you see this 
in family histories, I know I have in, in my work as a therapist, we, we seem to be keep reenacting the same archetypal motifs. You know, we, we, we can't seem to stop warring with each other. We can't seem to stop going from what begins as an open exploration of spirituality, turning it into a religion, then turning it into a corporation, and then using it to control people. We, we can't seem to stop the habit of objectifying people as a justification to destroy them so we can get what we want or protect what we think is ours from other people. I mean, some of these are primal instinctual patterns from the reptilian brain structure. You know, am I safe? Which means I have to know what my territory is, but, but then someone else also thinks it's their tori- territory. You know, like the, the, uh, the, the crocodile's the crocodile's hunting grounds are the hippopotamus's home. Yes. So they both, they're both asking the same question, am I safe? And neither of them is safe because either of them could kill each other, right? Yes. So, and then is there, if I'm safe, is there, it, it, what's, what can I eat? Which is time to hunt and eat. And so, you know, here we are, we've gone from, being nomadic to being agricultural, agrarian, and then agriculture. And so now we build fences around things and we, uh, you know, shoot people or animals that cross the fence. And so we, it's all, it's like we keep drawing lines on paper and making them real and then spending trillions of dollars to defend these lines on paper. And we've been doing this for a very long time, but we're at the point now where the the destruction that it's causing and the potency of the weapons that are being used and the destruction that it's causing not only to humanity, but to the ecosystems is pushing us to, I don't know, I I think it's like we, we can only play this game for so long because our technology is advancing so much faster than our morality that we're kind of like 14 year old kids that don't realizing that they're playing with AR-15s and not cap guns anymore. And, and, you know, it's not a paintball, it's going to kill somebody. And then you get this mindset of total control and, you know, Darwinian, the, you know, the survival of the fittest. So you get the Bill Gateses and the Soroses and the, I hate even putting Fauci in there because he's just such a uh, play toy for other people. But you get people that that actually think the world is a monopoly board and and are willing to cheat to win at any cost. Absolutely. But the the, the knock on effect of that though is is that's a great that's a, a great way to poison the minds of children because that's how they think the world works. So they grow up aspiring to how can I be a better criminal than Bill? <laughs> you know, Absolutely. and um, yeah, it's just like we're we're at some point here. I'm always sitting here patiently wondering, okay, just how big of a catastrophe is it going to take people to to hug each other and say, oh, okay, you know what? Forget about your skin color, or your sex. Let's just clean Let's this survive. mess up so we can <laughs> yes. we can live, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think we can count on government, religions, uh, or business to do this. It, it's going to take all of us individually to do our personal work. Because as we all awaken, that changes, you know, the frequency on the planet. Each one of us makes a difference. And so 
this is why I'm particularly interested. In, I've got an awakening program I'm, I'm just building out right now because that's the only way I see forward. And, and then as parents raise their children from that context, everything changes. And it's really difficult, Paul, because you can imagine something with your mind, but until you actually experience it, you don't really know what it is. It's a little bit like you talk about playing uh, soccer, but then you actually play it. They're very different experiences. So, so we need to build, this is the education part, I think that's so important. We support each other to, to transform. It's like the caterpillar moving into the butterfly. Who would have known? Right. One of the problems is all this, the digitization of the whole world and children spending so much time learning through digital media because the digital world is not the analog real world. As I have said, I did a podcast called The Danger of Living in Two Realities, which is also a video as well. And I made the point, a tree on your iPhone does not need water. It does not bear fruit. Um, There's no responsibility to that tree. But if you're spending too much time looking at the tree on your phone and you're not realizing the trees in your backyard haven't been watered or fertilized or cared for or pruned, then you are actually living in a world that is potentially a threat to your survival in this one. And you're also living in a world that's largely imaginal or imaginary, not imaginal, imaginary. Imaginal means perception. I mean, we're all imaginal beings, but, but when you're living in an imaginary world and you're spending money in that world and you're spending money on stuff that's extracting stuff from the real world, that's not being replaced at nearly the rate it's being taken out, you're, you're setting yourselves up for a reality clash, and it's quite dangerous. And we are of this world, and so it's important that we are physically active on this planet doing things, because there are all sorts of energies that we're absorbing from the earth when we go walking you know, on the grass or hiking in a forest or versus doing it in a virtual way. And the ironic part is in a kind of way we're in a virtual reality on earth, as a virtual reality from being source, being the only truth. But going this digital route is really changing children's brain structures. And and they're not, you know, there are always new skills that are valuable that they develop, but there are basic skills that they're not developing by having time out in the yard. I mean, when I went to school in New Zealand, we had flying foxes or zip lines, you call them here, tree houses, all sorts of things, bush, and, and now here, it, it's quite challenging. Like you may be allowed to go on some of the playground equipment some of the time, and you know everything has. To, you know, it, it's quite interesting how how things have shifted and changed. Yeah, well, you know, since we're talking about healing, just to kind of maybe help the listeners, could you offer some basic steps that anyone could use to initiate their own healing process and indicate? if there are different steps for trauma versus illness or disease? In other words, is there, if you share healing practices that should be different for a certain type of thing that's common than another thing, maybe you can elaborate on that. I mean, I certainly have many ideas myself, but I would love to hear because now's your chance to educate the masses. Yeah. The first thing I want to say, you know, in general is balance. And, you know, there's a really interesting book out there. If people don't have it, buy it. If you have it, buy it as a gift 
for some other people, whether it's a library, people in need, a brother, sister, cousin, whomever. It's called How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> so so some, of may have, may have you, some of you out there may have heard of this author, Paul Check. And uh, it is an absolute perfect place to start or end. I mean, it's a brilliant book, Paul. Thank you. And, and, and it's about balance fundamentally. It is and, exactly right. And, and this is like the fundamental root when we're trying to heal. Make Paul's Christmas or whenever you hear this, uh, go out and, and uh, purchase it because it is an amazing book. The first time I even touched it, it was like, wow, you could feel that energy from that book. So really that that's the first step is, is looking for that balance. I think the second most important broad stroke is, is inner exploration. Mm. In today's world, it's no longer about having a better bandage or a better drug or a better this or a better that. It really is the inner exploration. And that is the healing. And there are so many different modalities, whether it's uh, meditation, being present, uh, plant medicines, energy consciousness, Akashic records, psyche, pathwork, basic science and, and history. There are so many options out there. And, you know, it's like all reads, roads lead to Rome or if you're French to Paris. So go with what you resonate with. I, I think the one caveat around trauma is it seems that if you've got a very physical orientation, Peter Levine or Levine. Levine, um, yeah, I know him. I've I've uh, had yeah. lunch with him a few times. He, okay. Him and I used to eat in the same restaurant for many years. We'd keep running into each other at lunchtime. Okay. I, I think he's really been very innovative in this field and, and, and working with the physical body as a part of that whole undoing of trauma. One of, one of his yeah. books I'll just throw in there is Stalking the Wild Tiger. Yes. And yes. Uh, he's got several books. So if those of you interested in his work, Peter Levine, just search his name on Amazon. And there's, there's a lot there. He's been at this for a long time. I, I know he's, he's probably a good 10 years older than I am. So I know I, I've been studying stuff he's been writing for as long as I can remember. Yeah, he, it's amazing. He's got a whole structure of teaching and, and everything out there. So uh, I think it's often referred to now as somatic therapy. Yeah, somatic therapy. Yeah. Of some sort. So that would be the one caveat. I, I do work with people myself in terms of going into their records and, and working with trauma, clearing trauma, and forgiveness is actually can, like a forgiveness process can be helpful for that too. But it, it, everyone's a little bit different. And it really comes down to what you resonate best with. Try different things and see what works best. It's really hard to know. For some people, breath work or yoga will do magic. I think it's important just to remain flexible and try different things. And different modalities will will be better to work with at different times in your healing process as well. So you might start off with yoga, and then you start doing qigong, and then you know tai chi. Uh, you do some acupuncture. Uh, maybe you do some Ayurvedic. But there's just there's many possibilities out there. The best thing is just to get started. I think one of the most important questions for people starting in their own healing process or wanting to be more involved in it is asking a simple question, and that is, what am I creating? What am I creating with my 
my beliefs, with my thoughts, with my emotions, with my choices. And I, th I think if a person just uses that as a meditation, so let's say they have chronic low back pain and they hold the question, what am I creating? And they look at the events that have led to back pain in the future. They looked at what they're doing now and then look at others that don't seem to suffer from that and say, well, how are they living differently? You know, like two guys go to the gym and one keeps hurting his back, the other doesn't. What's the difference? Well, one has good lifting technique and the other doesn't. So there you can see, okay, I'm creating back pain because I'm not putting the effort in to really learn how to lift weights properly. I'm just shortcutting it and thinking, screw it, I can lift it. So I'm just going to do it. You know, what am I creating you know, with my stomach ulcer? Well, that came on when I was going through a divorce. Well, what was, what was my mindset? What was my beliefs about it? And is, is it really true? You know? Absolutely. And going even underneath that. So it's like, okay, so why am I actually doing that? What's leading to that? Those actions, like, am I insufficient? I'm not good enough. I'm a failure. Am I alone? You know, there are often a lot of very deep issues in the background that are not even on the radar. And so this is why this this inner exploration is so vital. It needs to be ideally a, a habit, a practice of, of living. So we can become aware of what's going on under that hood. We can then naturally start to change and shift that. I think Mark Wu Lin's work on... Uh... Uh, generational trauma is really good. I had him on the show. It was a fantastic podcast. Uh, his book is It Didn't Start With You. So if those of you out listening haven't read that book, it's a really good book. But one of the key things he encourages people to explore is the question, what is my greatest fear? So for example, someone has, I'll just use back pain because it's so common, and they have a hard time healing. And so he he would ask them, what is your greatest fear about not healing with back pain? And they might say, well, I won't be able to, to go to work. Uh, I'll end up losing my job. And he would say, well, what is your greatest fear about losing your job? And they say, well, I wouldn't have the money to live the way I want to live. What's your greatest fear about not living the way you want to live? And then the point is, without going through a, you know, a long number of steps, is that each time you peel a layer of your perceptual structure, your ego, and you, you actually start getting down to what he would really refer to as your core fear, which for a lot of people is, I'm, gonna, I'm afraid I'll die. But I keep going even past that and say, well, what's the greatest fear about what will happen when you die? And, you know, people <laughs> have all sorts of answers to that. But, but the reason I bring that up is because so much of the choices we make in relationship to ourself, others, persons, places, and things, whether it be choices around coffee or around foods or around sex or money or how we use our power, how we get attention from others, how we get love from others are almost always driven by one or more fears, but Absolutely. most people are not really looking at their fears. And, and the whole point of Mark Woolen's exercise is to keep looking in until you hit rock bottom, because then you have your core fear and you see that's like the root of the plant with many branches that represent fears. And I think for, for those wanting to explore their healing, looking into whatever your issue is, I'm about, I, I'm not making enough money or I'm about to lose my partner. You know, I'm not getting along with my boss. Uh, I keep having irritable bowel syndrome, whatever. 
looking into what the greatest fear is, I think really helps take you down deeper into what's driving the behavior because the ego has a real issue about losing control and it's where we are afraid that we think we're going to lose control. Absolutely. And, and it's so easy as a process to do that. Everyone can do that. It may take a little bit of practice. You know, for some people too, it, it, it can be hard to feel. They might think that they, it might be hard to even feel, but you start where you're at. But that's, but that's also very, very a diagnostic in itself because where we can't feel is where we're repressing something or we, where we are disembodied. We're detaching from ourselves. Yes. And that means that that's where our love no longer resides. Right. If, if our love was there, our consciousness would be there. Our awareness would be there. And so where, wherever people can't feel in their bodies... That takes you, you go to my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, and I have the, the seven zones, which correlate to the chakras. But when I wrote the book, there was so much anti-chakra stuff out there, I decided just to call them zones so that the left brain program people wouldn't not read the book. <laughs> to give you an example why, I was once teaching a HLC training program, holistic lifestyle coaching. And I was talking about what the chakras are and how they work. And some guy got up and walked out of class and wanted his money back. And, and, uh, his reason was that chakras are a bunch of bullshit. And anybody that believes that stuff is a nutcase. And I'm, I'm like, wow, you know, there's this thing called science. And I have a lot of it in my library clearly validating chakras going all the way back to about 1972 or 78. But anyhow, so the point being is that the zone, the, there's a chart in there showing what the main psychological themes are for each of the regions of our body. Uh, which is, it's very easy to follow. You know, obviously if you're, if you're not able to feel your heart, you got to look at your ability to give and receive love. If you can't feel your, your abdominal region, that's your solar plexus. You have to look at your ability to, to love yourself. Right. So the themes are already well laid out. And this, these, these systems are thousands of years old, which is another thing. People that think chakras are bullshit. It's like, you realize that these systems have been used for healing probably on the whole, a lot more successfully than Western medicine for a very long time. You know, if it's done right, then you mix the best of Western medicine with the best Absolutely. of ancient wisdom, you really got something. Yeah, you, know? you got the wholeness. And, and something also that you were saying that's really important, I think, to articulate is that it's our small ego that's the challenge here. And it's very connected to the, you know, 3D here. But what we want to really do as we awaken is move to the 5D. So it's a firmware update where we still have our normal physical body, but how we're understanding and functioning in life is different. And that is a creative process in itself. And so the laws of physics in terms of what we can do seem to change. They haven't. It's just we're, we're working differently. And, and so sometimes when, you know, people are doing healing work and, or, or other things, it's like, oh, this is magic. No, no, it's just, you know, it could be, but largely it's, you know, science not understood. Well, it's magic with a K is what it really is. <laughs> yes. It's real magic, not sleight of hand. Yes, yes. You know, magic simply defined is, is something that you don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the basis of science. And what you know, <laughs> yeah. people get curious, well, what is this about? And what amazes me is how often that gets shut down.
Hi, everybody. I sure hope you're enjoying the podcast. You know, a couple of months ago, Organifi sent me a couple of bags of their new Shilajay gummies to sample, and I was blown away with how great they taste and how much my body loved them. Having used Shilajay paste for many years, I've never been a big fan of the taste of it, but when I tried Organifi's new Shilajay gummies, I was truly impressed. The texture and consistency of the gummies is excellent, and they have just enough natural sweetness to let me feel like I'm getting a lovely healthy treat for both my mind and my body. Sheila J is a unique, potent mineral paste from the Himalayan mountains. It contains an abundance of trace minerals, antioxidants, organic acids, and nutrient-transporting compounds. It's been known throughout history to help boost vitality and strength. Just pop a couple gummies and chew or suck on them slowly for a steady release of the delicious, earthly, but slightly sweet natural flavor. Your taste buds will enjoy the delicious treat while your body soaks up the massive amounts of feel-good nutrition. Rich in fulvic acid, humic acid, vitamins, enzymes, bioflavonoids, antioxidants, metabolites, and over 40 trace minerals, Shilajay gummies can help support energy production support performance and recovery, support healthy muscles, promote collagen synthesis, support healthy hormone levels, increase cellular energy, decrease fatigue, and promote heart health. I absolutely love Organifi Shilajay gummies and went through two bags in no time because my body craved them so much. I reached out to Organifi to get more right away, and I bet you will too. To get your 20% off for Living 4D listeners, on your Shilajay gummies, go to Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com forward slash C-H-E-K 20. On checkout, use the promo code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 20, two zero. That's check 20 on checkout to get your 20% discount on your awesome Shilajay gummies. I honestly love these things. I know you're going to be just amazed with how great they taste and how good they feel. You mentioned dimensions, and that I'd like you to expand on that a bit because, you know, I could probably pull out about 20 different books with different dimensional models, with different levels of dimensions, and different attributes to different dimensions. You know, for example, in my Subtle Energy Anatomy Encyclopedia by Cindy Dale, she's got chakra systems going all the way up to 21 chakras. Then you got the Taoist system of three, you got the Hindu system of seven, you got an Egyptian system with nine. And I've studied a lot of these things, but then you got law of one, and law of one speaks largely of a nine-dimensional model. Barbara Han Clow, a Cherokee record holder who's written several great books, she's got a nine-dimensional model. But I've compared a lot of these side by side. And some will, for example, say that the fourth dimension is dimension of love, but others will say that's the dimension of time. Some say the fifth dimension is the dimension of love. So uh, how do you conceive the dimensions so that people, when you when you use the term fifth dimension where everything's at, maybe share the structure of what each dimension is and what you can your in your conception what's in that dimension so the listeners can have a, an inner perspective on that. Sure. So Paul, I use it fairly loosely. For me, I, I tend to think of the third dimension as you know how we just see regular old life, how we've been trained to see life. No, gravity pulls us down and actually pushes us down, but that's a side point. You know, just what we've been taught since the 40s, the 50s, the 20s, whatever. This, this is how life is. It's very externally oriented. When we move beyond that and we start the inner inquiry, then 
to me, we're starting to enter a whole different dimension. So whether you call it four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, to me, I don't really go into that level of detail. Uh, I suppose I could sit down and, and, you know, work through that in a kind of systematic way. But for myself personally, you, you know, I've, I've been, had very, very strange experiences with expanded consciousness. I tend to be a little more on the practical side. And so it's like, well, what's useful here in the now? When I start seeing myself as source, where I'm seeing everything is actually made of, like, of source, which is love, to me, that's moving out of that third dimension into, let's just call it for argument's sake, fifth dimension. But I'm not following like a, a definite prescription for each dimension. It's kind of like this or something else. And so I just use the fifth dimension as a, a word in general for something that's not what we're normally used to doing, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and interestingly, too, um, there's a lady named Chris Hardy who's very scientifically evolved and also metaphysically quite developed. She's written a number of excellent books. She speaks of the sigmantic dimension, which is the dimension of meaning, which she relates to as a hyper dimension, which all dimensions are interpenetrating with, which is really sort of put in layman's terms. It's, it's where God makes meaning of itself. Right. But it's really the dimension of consciousness. Everything's enfolded into that dimension. So our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, our experiences, our history, our story, those things are not held physically. They're held from her perspective, which I agree with, in a segmentic dimension, which is really a non-local dimension that doesn't need physicality. Right. It's, it, I think it's the things that, you see, by definition, segmentic means uh, to make meaning I think it's when we don't make meaning of things that we hold on to that it leaves us somehow, you see, when we can't make meaning, spirit doesn't flow through us. So if you don't have the ability to make meaning out of a traumatic experience or out of an injury or out of a divorce or out of a loss of a job, then until we actually go within ourselves into this segmentic dimension that is really within our soul, we don't do the work to try to, to ask for inner guidance from our higher self or from our soul or from our own inner consciousness that's there without us running our ego. In other words, if we post a question to our soul, our inner self, why am I going through this divorce? And we just sit and empty ourselves and, and allow as Jung calls it, holding the tension of the opposites. Don't, don't think negatively of it. Don't think positively of it. Don't run from it. Don't medicate it. Just be present with it. Yes. Then we're going into the sigmantic dimension, which is not a classifiable dimension because it's not a structure you can measure. It's like you can't, you can't weigh and measure consciousness. You can only see what consciousness is creating. And then when we get in there and we are brave enough to see things objectively as they arise, then I find some people may start getting images. Other may start feeling sensations in their body. They might feel emotions coming and they might start crying and they may not yet know why, but if they try to stop that, then they're actually blocking the flow of the communication that's happening, which often is an exact mirror of how they ended up 
with the health problems that they have. And so if we just keep allowing the process to unfold and giving our, our spirit a chance to bring up into consciousness, I believe whatever we're ready to embrace at any given point in our time is what our soul will unveil to us. But if we don't take the time to commit ourselves, you see, as you know, we're in this kind of cultural conundrum because the whole medical system almost worldwide is built on a treatment model. And the word treatment means someone else is going to do something for you. So if I pay you for a treatment, I automatically assume I'm going to lay down and you're going to take my problems away and then I'm going to get up and I'm going to be healthy again. As long as we're operating on a treatment model, then we're always trying to sell our problems to some therapist or some doctor. But the reason that never works very well for, for a lot of problems, for most of them, I mean, if you, you know, if you, if you strained your knee or something, yeah, go, go see a therapist and they'll help you. But if you're, if it's the 30th time you've done it, then you might want to <laughs> yes. look at what's going on. Yes, absolutely. You know? So because we have this sort of conscious, which has been programmed into us for profit, this kind of belief that, you know, whenever you're hurt or you're not healthy or whatever, you go see someone, you pay them, they take the problem away. We don't develop a relationship with it. But, you know, back in tribal times when you had shaman, the first thing they're going to do is say things like, when did you stop enjoying being alone with yourself? (laughs) When did you lose your sense of the magic, mystery, and awe of life? When did you stop singing? When did you stop dancing? When did you stop enjoying good stories? And however you answer those questions is going to tell them exactly where they're going to go look in your timeline to say, well, let's start singing and dancing some more and let's start dreaming some more. And, you know, you know, if you think the universe is just a bunch of matter that organized itself, that leaves quite a mystery that means there's a a lot of mysteries in your life that are, you know, you can't make meaning out of that. That's, I think that's one of the problems with the materialist mindset is you ultimately cannot make meaning out of life. Yeah. And, and, and the small ego organize themselves, right? Because our mind is wonderful, but, you know, the mind and ego are tools. And there's lots of ways of knowing beyond the mind. Oh, Uh, yes. You know, like the heart, for example, we know that it's like a small brain and it's got memory and all sorts of things. I mean, there are other ways of knowing. And you were really speaking to that with this idea of this knowledge core that flows through everything, a meaning core. From my own experience of you know, 40 years as a therapist, because a lot of these things that are painful to us are hard for us to put into words and contextualize. Like, how do you, how do you as a young child that was raped by a parent or by a uncle or by a teacher or by a preacher, how do you actually at any age make meaning out of what seems to be nothing but complete invasion and evil. And so because if we don't make meaning, the spirit can't flow, then we can't get rid of that. It's trapped in our body because even though the meaning dimension is a hyper dimension, whatever we have left undone is, is like a short circuit. Energy doesn't flow well. And so we have the body in my conception is a symbol for what we really are. Like I'm looking at a symbol of Chris. I think that's Chris, but who's really there is transcendent to his body. I have to connect to something much deeper, the spirit of Chris. 
to know Chris. So I, I see this is the symbol that Chris created so I could recognize when his soul is in my presence. But what I'm driving at here is, is something that's very simple and very profound. And that is that if a person simply takes out a piece of paper and some colored pencils, crayons, or paint and says, you know, I can't explain what happened to me when I was sexually traumatized, but this is what it feels like and just lets whatever come out of them come out. Now they're speaking another language, but the act of moving it out into the physical world is like decreasing the pressure. It's engaging it. It's allowing spirit to start moving. Exactly. And you can, you can also write a poem about it. You can say, you know, I don't really understand what's going on, but you could write a poem about it. So you're accessing your right brain again. You could dance it out. You know, Jason, as you know, is, is a process psychologist and in process psychology, they will ask you, so you're, you're having this pain and emotion about a sexual trauma. Let your body just dance it out and see what comes out. And all of a sudden people feel better because they're actually consciously taking the initiative to engage it. And even though they'd understand what the dance meant, and we forget that insects, for example, like bees dance to communicate. They don't talk, they use dance. So dance is actually not only a form of, of artistic expression, it's actually a form of communication like posture and gesture. That without going through an exhaustive list, what I'm, what I'm sharing for the listeners, and, and because I know you appreciate this yourself, is that we don't have to make logical left brain meaning of a story that we can't connect the dots on. But if we just engage it from a feeling place and express that on a musical instrument, even if it just means bashing the drum and making noise, if that's what wants to come out, make the noise. But look, for example, look at all the great songwriters and musicians in the world, like Roy Orbison lost two children and a wife, one, I believe, to a car accident and two to a burned house. And, and Roy Orbison internalized that and the way he moved the pain was to write songs. Eric Clapton, when his son died, wrote that beautiful song. Um, I can't remember the title of it, but um, Will I See You in Heaven? Will I Know Your Name? So there's a, see, we, we've got people around us that are doing this all the time, but, but we don't call them doctors or therapists. So people don't realize that if we just listen to our impulses and let them work through us, then we will actually begin a healing process that can be much more deep and profound than anything they can throw at you in a, in a medical office. Yeah, and the, the challenge is many of us have been taught to do the opposite, to close off and freeze these sorts of feelings. And, and we have to actually learn to be with them again. And ironically, working with these kind of invisible things can be more fear-inducing than uh, like jumping out of a plane with a parachute. We have to rebuild uh, an acquaintance and connection with ourselves very often and get comfortable doing that and working through, especially once worked with a really good therapist, you, you get to know that, oh, I can do this. And this is just the process I go through. I'm going to sweat. I'm going to shake or whatever I, you know, I do. I'm going to feel awful, whatever it is. As long as I'm willing to go into that space then the miraculous, the, the transmutation can happen. Well, what's a kind of an interesting paradox too is you're right. People, people are challenged by working with what they perceive to be invisible things. But here's 
the secret right in the word. If you just put the dash between in and visible, yes. when yes. you bring your consciousness inside of yourself and you are genuinely ready to look within and you just empty your mind and allow what there is wanting to come up into consciousness to rise, it's now not invisible, it's invisible. Absolutely. You have to bring your attention back to yourself. Part of that problem is that we have so externalized the soul with a materialistic conception of life that we, we only identify ourselves in the mirror or in, in, in the things that we own or that we possess or that we have power and control over. But the reality of it is, is that the soul likes to play with those things, but the soul itself is, is not what those things are, which is why people can have tons of money and tons of material success, but feel completely starved of, of satiation for love and connection. And I think when we start working with the invisible within ourselves, it's an act of love and nurture for ourselves. And I think one of the most important things that we have to grow up into to heal is to take responsibility for loving ourselves and nurturing ourselves. We have to feed ourselves, nurture ourselves, and protect ourselves. And that means being discerning with which relationships aren't healthy for you. And that can be with food, it can be with people, it can be with places like bars or schools that don't work for you or jobs that don't work for you. Absolutely. So I think a lot of people just need to be more conscious of what is the inner world telling you about your outer reality. For example, if you think that this new car is going to make you happy and it's going to be the greatest thing, but two days after you got it, you're feeling empty again. Well, obviously it wasn't the car that you were looking for. <laughs> and interestingly, from a symbolic perspective, a car is a symbol for a relationship. So like if I'm analyzing a dream and you have a dream that you're buying a new car, I would ask you, well, why do you need a new car? Oh, because my old one's not working. Oh, so what you're telling me is your old one is the relationship that you're trying to get out of right now. Right. But have you tried to do any work on the relationship before yes. you buy a new car and put yourself in a lot of debt? So I, you know, when we start doing inner work too, I think it's very important to get a symbol dictionary, a good symbol dictionary, because a lot of the way the psyche speaks, as you know, is symbolically, not literally, you know, so for example, you know, being eaten by a dragon, that doesn't make a lot of sense to somebody. But if you consider that a dragon is a magical, mystical creature, it may be a very, it might be a symbol that we're eating ourselves. We're eating the parts of ourselves that are too physical and what's left is the spiritual. And, and so point being is when we start going into meditation and doing inner work or we start, you know, like as an art therapist, I'm always amazed at what people will paint for me and then I'll look at it and I'll show them all the symbols they put in there and they won't even see them right. until I show them. And they go, yes. Oh my God, I didn't see that. And I say, okay, now let me tell you what that makes me want to ask you. And of course it's, you know, most of the time like a bullseye and they'll look at me like, what the hell? Yes. How did you know to ask me that? I said, well, you, you told me to ask you that. That's why you're here. My only point is having a good symbol dictionary so that when people start going inward, they can have a lot of interesting visions and dreams go into hypnagogic states. They can have fearful things come up, but having a symbol dictionary and start taking the initiative to explore life as a dream. You mentioned earlier that the whole world is actually a virtual reality and, and you kind of slid right past that. But in actual fact, I mean, I won't go into a long discourse on why that's true, but 
if we look at the fact that the world's a virtual reality, that means so is our body and so is the illusion of disconnection from each other. And so you have to ask yourself, well, why are we acting this party out? What's the story? Behind, what's the you know plot line here? And I think sometimes you don't know what you've got till it's gone. I think my own perspective on what's going on in the world is we're pushing ourselves so deep into separation that we're going to reach a point where we really realize how much we love each other because we finally realize who each other is. <laughs> I think that's going to be the, the great punchline. I just wonder how many ashes it's going to take to figure it out. Yeah, it's it's very challenging. It's concerning on certain levels. We We really need to awaken. I see it. It's like you can have an uncomfortable contraction going, leading into a place where we, you know, shift and change and then expand again, or we can have a positive contraction. And it's not a positive contraction right now as we shake the wounds of the, you know, wounded masculine, the wounded feminine, and we try to bring in this balance again. Hello, everybody. After countless requests, I'm super excited to announce our How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy online training program. This program is designed specifically for anyone that wants to learn how to eat, move, and be healthy and is perfect as a learning opportunity for the whole family. In my 40 years as a holistic health practitioner, I've always been saddened and amazed that there is no real basic health training in our education systems that teaches people how to care for their body and enjoy the freedom that only health can give. Anyone will be able to follow my How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy online and learn many ways to apply what I share in my book. And to give you even more support, this offer includes a free How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy ebook to help reinforce your learning process. In fact, if you've not yet read my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, you can take this special six-week How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy online training program and get instant coaching on how you, your family, and friends can look and feel your best. You will not only learn from me personally, but you will learn from Angie Check, Head of Holistic Lifestyle Coaching at the Czech Institute, Matthew Walden, Head of Education for the Czech Institute, and Joe Rushton, who is a Czech Institute instructor and certified chef. All our presenters in this course are highly skilled and add tremendous value to this excellent training program. How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy Online will be available as of January the 9th. This course is $495, but as a Living 4D listener, you get a special launch discount of 40% off and can make three payments of $99. Again, you get a free How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy ebook to help you look and feel your best and support your learning with the online training program. This offer is only available until January the 31st. Take advantage of this incredible offer and get started creating the new you. Go to C-H-E-K dot, so C-H-E-K, the word C-H-E-K lowercase dot group forward slash capital L number four D dash E-M-B-H. Once again, that's C-H-E-K dot group forward slash L number four D dash E-M-B-H. I have received countless letters from people around the world about how they healed many things that ailed them and how they look and feel better and have much more energy. And many mothers told me that how to eat, move, and be healthy has been a miracle for their children too. Enjoy this opportunity to make your 2024 a year of health, vitality, 
and enjoy a new level of freedom that you have never had before. We could do a really simple kind of meditation for your listeners, if that might be helpful for them. Yeah, we can do it. What we're going to do is just a, a very simple meditation. And the idea is, that by the sounds of it, it uh, may be a little simplified for your audience, but we'll see. Um, so we're just going to start with breathing. And just in for five seconds and out for five seconds. And I'm going to speed the process up a little bit. As you get that rhythm, engage your heart with, like, feel love or care, appreciation or gratitude. Just don't think it, like, feel it in your body. You can even imagine breathing through your heart space. Now you can add some imagine etheric roots going out of the bottoms of your feet and off your spine that go around the core of the earth. And imagine a golden infinity symbol, so it's like the number eight on its side. And just imagine a golden infinity symbol connecting your brain with your heart and your heart with your gut. And if you've got a physical ailment or any other kind of ailment or disease, we're going to do, you can do one of two things. Just as you keep breathing and feeling, just listen to that body part or that issue that you have, a deep listening. Or I'm going to just run some lines of light on the four, four first levels of your energy field. So just one or two of those. Okay. And if it's helpful, if you're listening, just listen, imagine listening with your heart. If you want to work with energy, you can imagine blue lines of light. Much like graph paper or Fishing net, very structured. In the second level of your energy field, it's more like clouds. So you can imagine these clouds clearing up 
and he kind of gunk in there, just being released, sucked up by a vacuum cleaner or something like that. You can imagine these clouds getting very bright and colorful and, and moving more easily, flowing. Go to the third level, which is like yellow or golden light. Also very structured, like graph paper or efficient net. Getting brighter, stronger. At a fourth level, just imagine any objects in there being removed and cleared, any mucus or anything like that being released. And all the cells or whatever it is returning to where they need to go. You can imagine like being a sheepdog and herding them all back, all those cells back to where they go. Okay. So you can take a lot longer to do that when you're working on something, but I want you to have a really technical, practical skill there to, to work with. Mm -hmm. It was fun because uh, when I connected the gold infinity symbol to my heart and my gut, it caught on fire. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then I saw a bird on sitting on top of it. I wonder what kind of bird that is. And I zoomed in and it was a rooster of all things. I'm like, a rooster, come on. God, I thought maybe it would be an eagle or something, you know, it's a rooster. It's funny because we have two roosters we, we raised from babies and, you know, they're such unique characters. They'll stare each other down and play their little games, you know, and it's just so fun to watch them. Yes, I'm sure. But I thought, okay, maybe my soul's telling me that I've got rooster in me, in my infinity. <laughs> <laughs> Too oh, funny. Wonderful. The French would be very happy. <laughs> That's the national uh, yeah. symbol. <laughs> the French? Yes. Oh, yeah. So it doesn't surprise be. me. Yes. With regard to the Akashic Records, do you feel anyone can learn to be an energy healer or a reader of the Akashic Records? Yeah, in theory, anyone can. I mean, this is our birthright. Some people like anything, whether it's music or sports, mechanics, whatever it may be, they've just got a natural more of a natural ability. Uh, so some of us may have to develop ourselves a little more carefully. But really anyone can. In fact, I had a really interesting experience where there was a young woman who was deeply autistic, uh, who couldn't speak. I was doing some healing for her, but all of a sudden it was like, what's going on here? She was doing an energy healing for me. <laughs> yeah, it was wild. And, and she hadn't been taught by that to my knowledge, anyone can learn to do this 
And so, for example, I've got three courses of, of, of teaching people how to work with the Akashic records. The first two are about actually yourself and working with your own records and getting into a lot of the things that we've been talking about, our inner world. And then the third course, you then learn how to read another person's records or that of a business or a pet or you know land or crystal, whatever, anything that's got consciousness, just not people who have uh, passed away because you need permission and uh, they obviously can't get permission. So it's, it's very accessible for people. It's such a practical skill to be able to leverage and use. And I, I think of it as a core technology like 3M will have a certain kind of technology in abrasives or whatever it is. And then they'll spin it off in many different applications. Uh, learning to work with the Akashic Records, in my mind, is, is very much like that. I come with an awakening perspective in that. And what I notice is certainly by the end of the second course, most people are actually looking a lot younger. They're happier. There's real transformation happening. It's miraculous. It's like teaching a little three or four year old how to play the violin and then they have their first concert and they're ya da 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 dee dee da, playing a little twinkle twinkle on this tiny little violin. It's like a miracle. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's the same with these uh, Akashic courses. It's, it's just amazing to see people transform as they learn. Yeah, well, it, it lets you know that you're um, connected to something very deep, mysterious, and beautiful. Indeed. And, and and it is yourself. Yeah. The, with the you know? capital S. <laughs> yes. And I think that's a lot of where people's illnesses and depression comes from is losing consciousness of our connection to the greater whole at the scale of the world, the solar system, the universe, God. Um, I mean, that's why spirituality is really so important because it's by definition, it's the practice and awareness of a greater whole and connecting to that greater whole where religion can be very isolating. Spirituality is really truly about expanding and about self-realization, not opposed to memorizing somebody else's <laughs> commandments and books. It's sad because religion has all the same problems as, as, as standard Western science and putting kids into school and forcing them to memorize stuff instead of playing, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, and sometimes it really is about control. And if you're doing religion, then, you know, work with the mystic parts mm. of religion. Like if you're into Islam, Sufism would be great. Uh, I'm not sure who the mystics are currently in the Christian denomination or, or at least other, you know, uh, uh, religions that are out there. But working with the mystical, the mystics get along, no, no problem at all. It's when you make everything very rigid and this is the only way, and if it's not this way, you're wrong, and, you know, you have to die, basically. It's what often it comes down to, and it's separation consciousness. And, and you know, I, this is another important issue, Paul, that I like to think of. When we move from unity into polarity into the many, this is where a lot of us have uh, a separation consciousness. Um, but in fact, when we move from the unity into the polarity, that's creation consciousness, so nothing was ever separated, but it's just what we've been born into on the planet at this time. I, I, I'm quite sure eventually at some point, children will be born fully awake on this planet, but we're not quite there yet. So we've got a little work to do. Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's probably some coming in now. Now's a good time for them to arrive. <laughs> and I, I'm pretty sure from my own experience that they are kids 
coming in there. One one of the things I think is an important discussion is with forgiveness. And I've I've observed that when people can't forgive those that have hurt or traumatized them, their ability to heal is blocked or retarded at some level. Absolutely. Many confuse the concept of forgiving with forgetting. Uh, in my experience, it's important to learn to love people that hurt us, but we don't necessarily have to like them. And forgiving doesn't necessarily mean we overlook the fact that we need to be careful with such people. You know, a lot of people, when you say, well, you need to really forgive so-and-so, it's almost as though they're saying, oh, so you want me to go hang around with them and be their friend and, and pretend <laughs> nothing ever happened. No, that's not the case at all. It, it just means trust that there's a greater gift being given that you can't really unpackage until you do the work of healing and know that the only people that hurt people like that are people that have already been traumatized. You know, I, I often say to people, everyone's loving the best they can with the training they've had and the life circumstances they've had. Now, of course, occasionally you get people that, that like to do dark shit just because they're on the negative path to service to self. But those are the lesser of the, of the insults that lead people to having health and physical problems, as you know. So could you share an overview of the importance of forgiveness and, and maybe some tips for how to forgive people that have hurt us, including yeah, our government? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, forgiveness is a is a big one, and it is loaded with a certain amount of meaning to different people in different ways. To me, at least, forgiveness is really about letting go, fundamentally. And it is a state of mind that gives us freedom. When we are not forgiving or not allowing ourselves to experience all the emotions which we're carrying in our life, then we really become slaves of our lower vibrational emotions, like anger and yes, antipathy, you know. By being a slave to those lower frequency emotions, we become a product of those emotions and we're emanating that magnetic field. So we'll get more of it <laughs> till we learn our lesson. We crystallize them. We, you know, we, we, we crystallize that consciousness in our body as tumors, as, as, you know, inflammatory syndromes, as skin growths, as, you know, as excess body fat or as, as, uh, hunger and we emaciate you know I mean the we people don't realize that a, a lot of what we're not forgiving is what we're embodying we have to carry it somewhere so we we create an icon out of it and oftentimes that's what the reason for the pain teacher showing up is to say hey hey look here yes absolutely and, and the forgiveness is not about condoning the actions like you were speaking to earlier it's really just like allowing ourselves to heal it's uh, it's allowing us to liberate ourselves from victimhood and so forgiveness isn't about forgetting. It's, it's really accepting what has transpired. And as you were saying with flow, choosing to move forward. So, you know, as we embark on this journey of forgiveness, we shed the weight of these negative emotions that really have burdened us and that take a toll on our bodies and minds and spirits, as you were saying, that, that are fostering that anxiety, that depression, that stress, that pain. And so in their absence, suddenly there's a new space, a spiritual path that's uh, unencumbered by that baggage. So it's, it's really quite important. And as we forgive and let go of the past, we step into a, more of an observer role. And again, something you were speaking to earlier about, you know, equanimity, being equanimous, not heavily charged one way or the other, but, uh, you know, as, as an observer, we can immerse ourselves you know, we're on this earthly journey, 
you know, with a with a purpose. And so we want to immerse ourselves in, in a unique, you know, in, in a unique energy pattern, which is us. And we ultimately want to transmute all these different energies through the power of love. It's like why we need the power of forgiveness to learn the power of unconditional love. That's it in a nutshell. You know, it's not about, you know, this justice. I mean, there needs to be justice uh, in the world. But forgiveness is not about helpless acceptance and surrendering to defeat and being weak or evading the cost of justice. It's about how we hold that profound hurt in our heart. And then, you know, how do we work to repair it and prevent its repetition? You've probably heard, you know, that Tibetan Buddhist story about the two monks who meet years after being released from prison where they were tortured. And the first monk asks, you know, have you forgiven them? The second responds, I will never forgive them, ever. And the first monk then says, well, they still have you in prison, don't they? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's, those are, those are, those stories are very uh, powerfully true. You know, that's why they're so often used as teaching stories. But I think forgiveness is, if you take it from, a, not from the context of saying, I don't hold you responsible for what you did to me, because a lot of people think that, think that forgiving means that they no longer hold the person responsible for maybe the abuse that they've had. But if, if the forgiveness is, I now forgive this person for the trespass that they have made on me, but I also forgive myself so that I can let go of it. In other words, the forgiveness is really just giving yourself permission to stop living in the past. Trust that, you know, like there's an old, the old saying, Lord, give me the strength to handle what I can and the wisdom to know what I can't. And just say, I, I can't make this person be a different person. I can't, you know, make my father stop being abusive, but I can forgive myself and forgive him so that I can detach from having to stay in the repeated loop of the past of what happened and, and why I'm now not able to do this or I can't do that. And, and just allow myself to use forgiveness as a means of coming into the now and being with myself. Yes, exactly. And you know, say, now what, what can I do with what I've got? You know, here I am sitting here. I've still got me. I've, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm hurt. But you know, if, if I, if I take what I've got right now and start working with it, then I'm, I'm moving forward and, and I can ultimately seek to find the meaning. And, and, you know, so many of the things that happen to us turn out to be just what we needed to develop the empathy and compassion to help the people we have soul contracts with along the way. Yes. And, and often, you know, it's so hard, Paul, some of these issues and, and paradigms, because, you know, who wants to see another person hurt? But there was one story I remember uh, someone telling me about that often it is those who love us most who agree to be their abuser in, in this life because it's not a particularly well-loved role. <laughs> you know, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But, but the forgiveness is ultimately it's for ourselves. Um, you know, it's not about judgment. Uh, it's not about the other person. Obviously, the other person's in there, but but it, it really is our liberation. So we've got that flow. Yes. 
I noticed that you'd created some meditations to support women in Africa to awaken their divine feminine when I was looking at your website. To me, it's a bit counterintuitive that the women of Africa, of all places, need help accessing the divine feminine. I was wondering if you could share an encapsulation of what the divine feminine is, and then what was happening in Africa that you think diminished their connection to the divine feminine. Yeah, well, first of all, I think it's a global issue, and and I just happened to be focused on Africa because I had visited there, Um, and I wanted to try and do something to be supportive. Like if I even look at my own province here in Canada, if the statistics are correct, there are 14,000 women who need shelters every month. This is like absolutely outrageous. And what amazes me is they don't get the proper funding to be supported. And when you say they need shelters, what exactly are you you saying? They're experiencing some sort of abuse uh, or trauma at home. Oh, okay. um, Usually at the hands of the masculine. It's not always exclusively that, but largely. And I would call it the wounded masculine. So for me, you know, to keep it brief, like the divine feminine, it's not gender-based. We all have the divine feminine and the divine masculine within us. It's not if you're a woman, you've got that, and man, you've got, you know, masculine. No, we've got both of those. That's the polarity. But there are sorts of qualities. So for me, when I think about the divine feminine, it's it's coming from a place of, of creation. It's a place, if we brought it down into simpler words like emotional, uh, cooperative, being versus doing, creative versus outcome, you know, intuition, sensitivity. So, you know, these are qualities that are in men and women, but it's really important to make sure it's clear that it's not it's not a particular gender, but we tend to have associations with gender just because that's how we are and what women do. Women give birth, men don't give birth. That's a creative process. It's the egg and the sperm. And so the masculine tends to have more of a a forward energy. So they work together in harmony. And that's what we're trying to rebuild here on the planet. But what got me onto this, I was so shocked because I had never been to Africa. I was talking with various people. And then one of the big issues was specifically in South Africa, but it exists in other African countries too, that surprised me was... There are a lot of men who have babies with women, but then completely ignore the woman as soon as the baby's born. This is a big problem there. And I'm going, what's going on? Have they got a bunch of video games over there? <laughs> well, <laughs> once men start playing video games, they ignore responsibilities. That's one of the problems. Yes. It became very clear to me, and again, globally, it's not just in Africa. It's here in North America. It's in South America. It's in Asia. It's part of this greater cycle where the wounded masculine has really hurt the divine feminine. So we've got this wounded feminine. You know, this has terrible consequences on us individually, families, relationships, whether it's at work or within the family. Really, it's everywhere. This is beingness issues. Beingness issues don't just turn up between, you know, a husband or a wife or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or whatever. It is in all our relationships. And so you wonder, like, what I think we're at the precipice with awakening technology, if we were to call it. We had our industrial revolution. We've had our computer te- external technological revolution. But now we've got this internal revolution that we've, we've got going to really shift and change things. Yeah, so that's, I started doing some live, I'm working with South African women. We do a live meditation 
And so in that meditation, there's a little bit of channeling. So some words are coming through to talk about reconnecting with that divine feminine and also healing. So doing some energy healing to help the women on the call. Ideally, we'd be doing this with the men as well. But, you know, we start where we start. It's if the women are really healthy, the men will get into line eventually. But we want the men to be healthy and not have to rely on the women that so they can just both come together, you know, mutually. That'd be a good idea. Hi, everybody. I know that you're all aware of the importance of vitamin C. There's a mountain of research on it, but not all C is created equally. I love Paleo Valley's Essential C Complex because it is the real deal, bioavailable, and I wanted you to hear right from Autumn Smith, founder of Paleo Valley, why their Essential C Complex is so unique and something you definitely want for your family and your children. Autumn, tell us about your Essential C Complex. Well, I was shocked to learn as a holistic nutritionist that 90%, over 90% of the vitamin C on the market is derived from genetically modified corn, and then it's processed with highly volatile acids. And so I knew I had to find a better way to get all of the powerful benefits of vitamin C. So what I did was I dove into the research and I found the three most vitamin C-rich superfoods on the planet. That's unripe acerola cherry and camu camu and omla berry. And then I just packed them into capsules. And the benefits are amazing because you're not only getting vitamin C, but all of the other wonderful benefits that come from these amazing superfoods. To try Paleo Valley's Essential C Complex and save 15% on your purchase, go to paleovalley.com forward slash C-H-E-K 15. That's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com forward slash C-H-E-K 15. No promo code is required. Enjoy. When you create meditations to help women access the divine feminine, what are your meditations actually doing to help women in this regard? In other words, what's happening? So there is one part that is, I would say, more mental, where they're taking in concepts or ideas about themselves. But if you want to call it the secret sauce, is is the energy work. So helping clear trauma, clearing, wounding, being insufficient, having to deal with domination, control, abuse, those all have frequencies and energies. So I work with that group energy and work to help clear and release those frequencies for the people who are in attendance. And that's something people can learn to do themselves in your courses, isn't it? Actually, really, yes. Yes, absolutely. As I see it, Chris, the planet is suffering badly from human ignorance and scientific materialism, treating the planet as an object versus a living being. You've also done work in Ireland for the land, the water. Uh, You mentioned hearts in there, which I wasn't really sure what you mentioned, what you meant by that. And you mentioned you were hoping to do this work in other geographical locations too. For a lot of people, that's kind of a strange conception. Can you give us an overview of the ways the land and and water get wounded and what it is that you or possibly any of us can do as a healer in this regard? Because I really do feel the earth's quite traumatized at this time. Uh, It is. And I think we need to keep going back, Paul, to the oneness concept and everything is within the one. and, And even on earth, recognizing that we are the earth. It's not like there's a separate little earth and then the humans dancing away on top of the earth. We are part of the earth. And so all the trauma, all the craziness that we're 
embodying mentally, emotionally, spiritually. That's also part of the trauma of the earth. So when we have our wars, when we have our challenges, that vibration, those frequencies also get embodied and encapsulated and, and crystallized by earth, like the, the physical earth and the water. And in fact, water is a really, that's a whole interesting topic uh, in itself. But so it, it becomes actually quite challenging because even if we do some healing for ourselves, what happens? We're, we're still stuck in that morass and those frequencies because they're still in the earth and the water or in our own hearts. When I was speaking about hearts, that was really about our own human hearts. Uh. So, so what it becomes important then is, and, and you see this all the time, and it, it turns up in different ways, like certain countries, the trauma turns up in a very aggressive kind of nature in war. Other countries... It turns inward, and people take it into themselves. Um, and they may not be as aggressive as a, as a country in terms of war. But what's important is that we bring healing and clearing and support the water and the and the land. And there are different ways of doing that, whether it's prayer, meditation, even just like coming into contact and communion with these. Like that's already a big step. They are alive. They have consciousness. We have this problem thinking that, you know, it's a tree and it's kind of nothing. It's just like a little something there that we can consume or use, chop down or grab the fruit or whatever. But but it has a consciousness. You know, when there are fires, trees work in different ways to help protect each other. A mother tree helps protect a baby tree in different ways. They use chemicals that, you know, they are far more alive than we realize. So that then you start moving a little further to areas that people have a harder time understanding like devas and things like that. But the, the idea then is that we clear that trauma from the land as well as ourselves. So then we, we can make positive contributions where we work more from love, care, appreciation, and gratitude. Yeah. So Biogeometry is a technology that's very good for healing the land and harmonizing the energy. So yes. any of you listeners that wants to learn more about biogeometry, listen to my podcast with Ibrahim Kareem. The first one was with Ibrahim and his daughter, Doria. Bo Doria, both of them are geniuses. And then there's two more with, the second one was with Doria answering all the questions I got from the first one. And the third one was my 200th episode, which was a special feature with Ibrahim Kareem. And he also has uh, the last 40 minutes or so, he goes into what happens when we die. So if you're interested in that, uh, you can listen to that one in my podcast with Sally Crow. Uh, and Angie Check, my wife, because that goes into that too. But biogeometry is very powerful and there's courses on it. And there's also kits for balancing the energy of your home. Angie's done our whole property on it. You can really tell when she's done it too. People come here and it's interesting, Chris, because people will come here for workshops and things or private clients. And a number of them will just burst out in tears. And so far, every one of them's recognized. They say the energy of the land is healing me. And so it's, it's my point is that when you really do work with the energies of the earth, it creates sacred space for life, you know, where life can really flourish. It's like it takes the fear out of the memory bank. Absolutely. And, and I, you know, I use stacks, stone stacks like acupuncture needles. So I just use my dowsing abilities and I can tell where I need to add more energy into the earth. And I can also use a stone circle to create a, a drawing effect. So I can use the stack to push the energy up and out 
or to pull it in, but I can use the circle as a kind of a reservoir or to pull more energy into an area. Like if a tree is struggling and you put a circle of stones around it, it'll, it'll usually significantly help the vitality of the tree. Absolutely. So there's a lot of simple things that, that we can do. And I think prayer is also very powerful because ultimately if you pray for the earth with the realization that you're praying for that part of yourself, it's easier to connect to it because then it's not an object outside of you. It's an expression of yourself. It's the rest of you. And, and so it really becomes important. Like if we are the universe and, and we are the earth, you know, people suffering elsewhere that we don't even know, actually that affects us. Yes. Everything. Yeah. We're all linked into everything. That's, you know, what, that's what Jung really made that clear when he, when he went at great length to describe the collective unconscious. And it's because of this that we can have intuitive insights that we know somebody in our family is needing our help or our friend, one of our friends is thinking of us or whatever. I mean, really intuition is, is just accessing the truth of our relationship to each other, which is that we really are, as you know, the same being just expressing itself in different forms. So we, we, we already have these abilities. A lot of people just been kind of sidetracked from them. And it's sort of strange because now to be normal, you have to be completely detached and dysfunctional. <laughs> and people that are healthy and whole are considered weirdos. So you, yes. you almost see like a complete inversion of consciousness, largely by design of people that have ulterior motives, obviously. Exactly. But, uh, but that's also part of our hero's journey. Without them, we'd have no reason to grow. I mean, if, if everything was just a big party all the time and it was just uh, Margaritaville, uh, nobody would evolve. So as easy as it is to sort of fall into the camp of being victimized and saying, oh, it's Bill Gates and it's, you know, Biden and whoever it is at the time, the reality of it is, is they're the growth stimulus, right? Yeah. And then we can actually stop making them wrong and like vilifying them and whatever, and actually just do what we need to do and shift and change. And thank you very much, Bill. Thank you very much, whomever. We can actually get playful. We can, we can say... Thank you very much for teaching me how to say no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, go and, right and back to basic. And it's challenging, right? You see these people who are supposed to be the pillars of society to, to demonstrate what we want, but I don't know many people who would take their four or five-year-olds to any democratic place or institution like Congress or that equivalent. The behavior is abhorrent. Where, what other workplace would you see someone threatening another uh, potentially with death and not being fired? Or, you know, it, it's just, it, it's, it's gone so far, we have to bring in the other side. And we get to do that. Yeah, it, it, you know, for me, it gives my life a lot of meaning. And I think, too, like I've learned so much about the earth energies just by playing out in my rock garden and I don't go out there and say, well, I'm going to study the earth today, but I just pay attention. And of course, I have a lot of knowledge that's sitting in the background, but I can just like I'll empty myself and, and just hold the thought. I'll connect to the earth and say, where would you like me to build a rock stack? And I'll just feel a pull and I'll follow the pull through my solar plexus. And all of a sudden it'll stop and I'll be standing on a spot and I'll just connect my consciousness to the earth and say, my property is called the Rainbow Hill, Rainbow Hills, and I just say, "Rainbow, are you saying you'd like a rock stack here?" 
and I'll either get a yes or a no. And if it's a no, she'll say, you know, five feet more this way or over here. And I've had these most amazing experiences where I'll start with no stacks. Over the course of maybe a week or two, I'll build six, eight, nine of them, which will look like acupuncture needles in the ground. And you walk in there, it's just alive. It's like you're walking into a force field of energy. Right, right. And I'll make patterns on the ground. Like sometimes I'll build a huge Tai Chi symbol about 20 feet across and I'll fill the yin aspect of the symbol with dark stones like Hawaiian black lava and other dark stones. And then I'll fill the other one with the light stones like crystals and, and, and whiter stones. And then as you walk on the stones, you can totally feel the shift in the energy. Beautiful. And then depending on what angle the sun's at, what was real strong yang at noon becomes weak yang in the afternoon or evening. And, and if you go to the opposite point, you'll often feel that it's very strong yin. So you see how the energies of nature are constantly flowing and they're being very, very influenced and driven by the sun and the moon. And, and point being is it just, this is how I like to educate my kids. This is how Instead of having them memorize a bunch of shit out of books that they can't even have a way to feel, I say, let's just go out in the rock garden here. Hold this rock. Tell me what you feel. Yes. Stand over here and then tell me what you feel. Now walk around the other side of the rock stack or the rock circle here and stand there. And, and that way they get, they get to kind of go on this, you know, like an Easter egg hunt, except they're hunting for the invisible. Yes. And they're, having, they're using their bodies as part of that whole process. And, and that's been desperately missing. And traditional education is a way of knowing and a way of expressing. I once had a student explain how erasers were made uh, manufactured and they created a whole game uh, for gym class to ex explain that. It was quite fascinating. So, you know, <laughs> and the more the kids can get on the land, the better. Yeah. Well, We've had a great dialogue, Chris. It's been fun. We've covered a lot of interesting things. I hope the listeners have enjoyed the practical examples that we've shared. I think there's nobody listening that could possibly not need the kinds of things that we're sharing. I mean, it's the human condition and it's inherent. Like, we, we, like I said, we, we need challenges to grow us and we need challenges to take us deeper into ourselves. So it's, it's easy to look at the world and say it's completely fucked up. <laughs> And, and fall into that trap. But, you know, I think to the degree that anyone agrees that the world's fucked up, it's also an equal invitation to do our own healing work, fill ourselves with love, and use the power of dreaming and consciousness to at least know that we're doing our best part to shift it energetically and to shift it within ourselves and to shift our perspective and you know, because it's easy to just give up and think, oh, my God, screw it. It's so bad. But if you if you see it as possibility and you inspire other people, then I think then all of a sudden you look back on it and you realize, wow, if it wasn't for the fact that the earth was in such a state of chaos and I got involved in trying to help heal it, I would have never have become the person that I am today. So I think there's always gifts hiding and every negative carries a positive inside of it. Yeah, and we have management control over ourselves. We still have that freedom. And the deeper we go into freeing ourselves, the more that frequency is like a lighthouse. It, you know, that light goes around the world. You empower others by, to, you know, 
by doing that. So as you free yourself, you free the collective. And you only need a certain percentage. I don't know what that is. But if enough of us do that work, and you know, we're here. Let's have fun. Does it have to be so serious all the time? Yeah, it's, it's less than 1%. Something like five or 6,000 people in a state of coherence produces enough energy to shift six or eight billion that are not in coherence. Oh, wow. So it, it only, yeah, it only takes about a million to shift the entire planet. So if a million of us get coherent and hold the, a common vision, mission, and values and share love, it, it has a profound effect. The example I've seen in some of my books on healing and, and quantum physics is that if you take a standard 60-watt light bulb, it's throwing its energy all over the place. But the same exact amount of energy that lights that bulb put into a coherent laser beam will cut right through several inches of steel. Oh, wow. But it's actually the same exact amount of energy. energy. The difference is the laser is coherent yes. and the light bulb is not. Right. So all we've got to do is get enough of us to be coherent. And it actually increases the power of those people so much that it has a, a dramatic effect on shifting the consciousness of the, because it creates coherence, which draws everything into itself. It harmonizes everything like, like sympathetic resonance. So I think the message there is you cannot save the world, but you can save yourself. Yes. And in doing so, you are contributing to saving the world. Yes. Are there any final thoughts that you'd like to share it's just on these topics as we close? Yeah. I, I, I think just if we all, Realize we are we are our own guru, and so mm. learn from others absolutely. But remember that each one of us has our own unique path, and it doesn't have to look the same as everybody else. And so we just need to start developing that habit of going inward and awakening, and, and you will find your way. And there are lots of people out there with all sorts of services and products to help to help us all in that in that journey you know so it's just it's just taking action even if it's just a little bit that's good well as i tell my patients and students if you just improve 1% a day which is little effort 100 days from now you're a 100% new person <laughs> yes. you know so a little less angry every day a little more discipline with your diet a little more discipline with your exercise a little more committed to your spiritual growth, your meditation, your Tai Chi, Qi Gong, whatever, whatever it is that does it for you. And, and it just, you know, as Lao Tzu said, a journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. I think we just take that 1% a day, which is really just, you know, 1% is hard to measure, but subjectively, can I just do a little bit better than I did yesterday? If I did 20 push-ups yesterday, can I get at least 21 today and 22 tomorrow? It's like the story, I believe it was Milo, the story of Milo the strongman. If I remember right, his dad had him pick up a baby bull and he had to pick it up and carry it on his shoulders. And his father said, now you're going to have to pick this bull up every single day until it's full sized. And when it's when it reaches maturity, you're going to be a very strong man. So the story of Milo the strongman is he picked up the bull every day and he got strong enough to, to match the growth of the bull. And then he became, you know, a famous strongman. So I think if we just pick up 1% a day, we'll get a little stronger and eventually we'll be able to carry the world together. And, 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 and I don't just mean carry physically. Action. I mean, yeah. 
remind us again of what your website is so people can find you, your services, and your other offerings. Thank you. So it's www.tellmewho.ca. So T-E-L-L-M-E-W-H-O.ca. You can send me an email at tellmewho, triple eight. So tellmewho888 at gmail.com. Or if you're into WhatsApp, just send a little note. It's area code one for North America, 819-708-5876, So if you're using that, just let me know. Just send me a message. You are, you are listening to Polchek's uh, podcast, and uh, we'll go from there. So Awesome. Thank you great, so much, great, Paul. It's uh, been a delight. Yeah, great journey together and uh, really important topics, especially the forgiveness part of it. I mean, it was all important, but I think for all of us to understand the importance of forgiveness and, and, you know, keep it practical, not airy-fairy, you know, just like we talked about, I think that's really helpful. So I'll close by saying thank you to my sponsors for all your amazing products and your moral and ethical standards and your willingness to support the planet with uh, regenerative and related services, putting money back into the earth and into the farmer's hands that are doing a good job. Thank you to all of you for joining us today and for participating in your own healing. And that is world transformation. And thank you for all of you to just make the world a little better place for all living beings each day. Lots of love to all of you. And I will see you uh, in a week with something new and exciting to continue on our journey in living 4D. Thanks again, Chris. You were awesome, buddy. Thank you. Lots of love to everyone. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Christopher Barham. You can find Chris on his website at tellmewho.ca, on Instagram and TikTok at tellmewho.ca, and on Facebook at tellmewhoyouare. Chris is offering 50 Canadian dollar discounts off your first personal session with him. Just visit his website at tellmewho.ca and mention that you heard about him on Living 4D with Paul Check when you book your session. Catch up with Paul on Instagram, TikTok and threads at paul.check, on Twitter at paulcheck or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash living 4D with Paul Check. You can watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com or visit the Czech Institute site at checkinstitute.com to find Paul's e-learning courses, advanced training programs, and to learn more about the Czech Academy. You can read the show notes and find links to the resources mentioned in this episode at checkinstitute.com forward slash podcast. This podcast would not be possible without the support of our premier sponsors, Bioptimizers, Organifi, and Paleo Valley, and our podcast sponsor, Wild Pastures. Please show your appreciation by taking advantage of their special discounts for our listeners. The links are in the show notes. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review on the podcast platform of your choice. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, Google Podcasts, and YouTube.